From voting rights to Build Back Better, Democrats are struggling to pass any aspect of their agenda. With frustration building, some on the left are beginning to suggest drastic measures. If they can't win the game, they'll change the rules. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. You can set your watch to it. You can prepare for it well in advance. You know it's coming. The moment Democrats recognize that they may lose power, they want to change the rules. The moment the Democrats understand the American people are either rejecting their agenda or, or perhaps in addition to, uh, deciding that there's incompetence at the heart of the Democrat Party, they look for some way to hold on to power regardless of what the will of the people may be as expressed through the ballot box. They can't win, so they decide to get around the actual contest, right? This is a mentality you see time and again. Supreme Court packing, vote registration and voting rights changes, right? All these different aspects. Getting rid of the filibuster so that they can get whatever they want passed. All these things they talk about. Making D.C. and Puerto Rico a state so that they can stack the deck in their favor, right? I mean, Senator Maisie Hirono, for example, is out there talking about bringing back the talking filibuster, for one. Watch this. Here's what I'd like to see happen at this point. I'm not even talking about eliminating the filibuster, which I support. I would support uh, bringing uh, back, really, the talking filibuster, which is something that Joe Manchin supported earlier. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be that one person to halt everything, you should get on the floor of the Senate and hold that floor for however many hours you can so that the American people will know who is the person that's stopping, in my view, voter protection legislation. So what are the chances of that happening? I'm going to push for it. It's something that Joe Biden, uh, not Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Manchin originally supported. And I'm going to call on Joe to support a talking filibuster as the way forward for us to protect people's right to vote. Uh, notice how she says first that she does protect, uh, she does support getting rid of the filibuster entirely because Democrats have a 50 plus one with the vice president tiebreak majority in the Senate. So while they have one more year of that, they figure, let's try to do everything we can to change America in our favor, particularly change the rules around voting. Some are just more explicit right now, even that they want the filibuster to go entirely and that they want to have a preemptive strike, if you will, to codify Roe v. Wade. Now that the Supreme Court isn't giving them necessarily, we don't even know yet, we don't know how the Supreme Court's going to rule, but now the Supreme Court may not give them their way, they decide it's time to actually go through the democratic process, but they're going to rush through a change to the way laws are made in that process because got to get their way all the time. Here's Representative Sheila Jackson Lee on how the filibuster needs to go entirely to save Roe. We in the House have done our job. We have codified Roe v. Wade. Uh, it is clearly now in the Senate, and here's what we need to do. Uh, the Senate uh, filibuster rule needs to be uh, stand, stood down. Uh, it needs to be rolled off. Uh, we obviously have other issues, voting rights, uh, that mm. need to be passed. I say H.R. 40, which is a commission to study slavery. But really, it needs to be rolled off, frankly, uh, and we need to pass Roe v. Wade in the Senate, and the president will sign it. Ah, uh, okay. And you might say, well, that's Sheila Jackson Lee. What does Democrat leadership think of this, right? They, they can't honestly in the House, in the Senate, they can't honestly think that 
this is a good idea to create this arms race of changing Senate rules just for the short period of time the Democrats have the majority, because of course then what are the Republicans going to do when they're in power, right? That's why you want to have a higher threshold for major legislative change. That's the idea behind the filibuster with the 60 votes needed for a tie break. We're at 50-50 in the Senate, and yet Democrats think now's the time. Now's the time to pull the ripcord, so to speak. Oh, and over in the House, of course, Nancy Pelosi's cheering this on. Watch this. The most important vote right now in the Congress of the United States is the vote to respect the sanctity of the vote, the fundamental basis of our democracy. So if there were one vote that the filibuster could enable to go forward, that would be the vote. What? Just amazing um, what Nancy Pelosi gets away with saying on television, of course, on, on CNN show where they are just doing Democrat propaganda all the time. Uh, Elizabeth Warren in the Senate, of course, now also making a lot of noise about this. She may think of herself as a possible last minute uh, replacement, shall we say, at the top of the ticket for the next presidential election. It's just something people have been talking about maybe a little bit. But she says, oh yeah, time to get rid of the filibuster. Look, I have been clear about where I am on the filibuster for years now. And I have also been absolutely clear when I ran for president, I ran in part on saying I will get rid of the filibuster. In fact, I think I may have been either the first or the only one who said that. Ultimately, a lot of people have come around. If we want to make the changes we need to make in this country, starting with protecting our democracy, then we need to get rid of the filibuster. Warren also published an opinion piece in the Boston Globe uh, supporting, this was just yesterday, court packing. Because remember, you get rid of the filibuster and you change the rules however you want. She wants to pack the Supreme Court, change the structure of it. She says, when a court consistently shows, this is what she wrote, that it no longer is bound by the rule of law. What? Congress must exercise its constitutional authority to fix that court. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound tyrannical at all. Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution gives Congress the authority to change the size of the Supreme Court. Congress has used that authority seven times before to restore balance and integrity to a broken institution. Congress must expand the Supreme Court by four or more seats. Let's be clear. They are worried that their favorite super legislature of the Supreme Court will no longer give them what they want. And so now they want to change the Supreme Court. Exactly what we talk about. They can't get their way, so they want to change the rules, so they do. They talk about our sacred institutions and protecting our democracy. These are just nonsense talking points to them. It doesn't matter. They say things that make no sense. I mean, this was back in September. Representative Ayanna Presley was claiming that voters gave Democrats a mandate to scrap the filibuster and pass a $3.5 trillion spending bill. A mandate with a 50-50 Senate and a tiny majority in the House? That's what they're saying. What is the point of Democrats having the House, the Senate, and the White House? We have a majority that was delivered to us by a diverse coalition of multi-generational, multi-racial, issues-based activists and voters. And we need to deliver to them. So they have given us the majority, uh, and along with that, a mandate. And being in the majority must mean more than a talking point. It is about impact and us delivering for the American people. They don't care about antiquated a Senate process um, or Washington procedures. Yeah, 
the narrowest of majorities does not equal a mandate for a massive multi-trillion dollar spending bill, the most spent in a non-emergency bill since World War II. That, that's actually not rational. The Los Angeles Unified School District is pushing back against Governor Gavin Newsom's vaccine deadlines for students because more than 30,000 children remain unvaccinated. We'll have more on that story with the first TVs. TNLO when we come back, but let's talk about a potential investment opportunity. If you ever thought about investing in real estate, I want you to take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out, let me make this easy for you. These guys have a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday hardworking Americans to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't tell you in strong enough terms during this quick commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company in my own words. I'll tell you about it in detail, picking the city, the house, getting the broker, the loan, even getting a tenant in place so I get cash flow coming to me every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to that podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. After teachers, students, and parents took to the streets of downtown Los Angeles to protest vaccine mandates, the LA Unified School District decided to postpone vax deadlines for students since more than 30,000 kids have not yet received the jab. School board citing concerns over disrupting learning and transferring tens of thousands of students into independent study so are other lib cities going to follow suit? Let's ask the first contributor and Washington Examiner columnist, Tina Lowe. Tina, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Buck. It feels like the pushback has gotten a bit stronger, a bit more forceful, even as we are heading into a clear COVID wave right now, Omicron and all the rest of it. There's still Delta and these other things out there. But you started to see cities not implement fully their mandates, is this a turning point? Well, yeah. I mean, even in the bluest of blue areas, I think people are waking up and, and realizing that that this is not tenable, right? So we don't even mandate the flu shot, and we know that the flu is more lethal for young children than COVID is. COVID tends to disproportionately affect people who are older to the point where unvaccinated minors under the age of 18, including teenagers, have a lower COVID death rate than fully vaccinated adults from 30 to 40. So we just know that, that, that the community transmission of this thing is not coming from kids. And quite frankly, we've held kids hostage long enough. You know, there are kids, especially, you know, here in DC, I see it when they are walking outside, we'll see toddlers, you know, in preschool outside, and they still have to wear masks, even though the CDC has acknowledged that outdoor transmission is negligible, if not non-existent. Um, so I, I, I mean, it really had to come from, you know, within the cities, there has to be internal outrage over this stuff. And, you know, there, there, there is a line. There is a line. People do not want to be doing 57 booster shots a year and mandating that their kids get vaccinated when we know the kids are not the ones transmitting this thing and they're not the ones dying from it. It's the elderly. We've also started to see some clear civil disobedience. You know, in Europe, they've had massive protests against this stuff in different countries. It's been a little more muted in America, which I think has been a shock to a lot of people. But you're starting to see folks say, 
they're actually going to take the heat. They're going to get arrested. They're going to say enough is enough, right? Multiple protesters against vaccine and mask mandates were arrested at an Applebee's here in Queens, New York, for trying to order food at a vaxxed-only restaurant. So my understanding is, Tina, they decided, look, we're not going to comply, and you can call the police and have them arrest us. And they did, and the cops arrested them, which raises a whole other issue, too, of maybe police shouldn't enforce this crazy crap anymore, but people are starting to say that they're actually going to engage in civil disobedience. Non-compliance, which I thought would come into play over a year ago, seems like it's gaining some steam. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm curious why someone in Queens would go to an Applebee's when you guys are in New York City, the best food city in the country. But um, it, it's telling that these stories are coming from New York. It is telling that these stories are often involving, you know, a lot of people of color, um, obviously a key Democratic uh, voting base. Um, but the movement that I think that we should be really interested in seeing, like the way that institutional change is going to happen at the federal level, is if you're looking at the, the CEO of American Airlines and the CEO of Southwest are pointing out, as we've been saying for literally months, if not a year now, that the mask mandate on flights makes no sense because the entire cabin's air capacity is refiltered every two minutes. There is not much evidence that COVID is transmitted, that COVID was transmitted before the vaccines, let alone after them. And quite frankly, if you're sitting for six hours, six inches from a complete stranger, I mean, even an N95 isn't going to be terribly effective, assuming you have to take it down to drink water or coffee or something. Yes, it, um, it turns so, out that know, COVID, COVID doesn't care if you're eating a handful of pistachios or not. So this, this notion yep. that everyone's being protected and this is about science is sheer idiocy. But as you know, mask mandate mania is back in New York and California. The California yeah. HSS secretary, Dr. Mark Galley, said this about reinstating universal mask mandates. This is a critical time. We have a tool we know has worked and can work. We are proactively putting this tool of universal indoor masking in place to ensure we get through a time of joy and hope without a darker cloud of despair. Californians have done this before and we believe we can do it again. Now, um, I am not a doctor, but I can read charts and look at data and come to basic conclusions. It absolutely did not work before. And people are now just being yes. delusional. We did what they said. Mask mandates in California did nothing. Yes. I mean, so Orange County did not reimpose an indoor mask mandate. LA County did. These are neighboring counties, very similar culturally, very similar in terms of density. And Orange County had fewer deaths per capita from COVID in this last wave than Los Angeles County did. Um, a San, I believe it was the San Francisco Chronicle did a study, um, uh, just did a data analysis controlling for vaccination rates and found that when two counties' vaccination rates were the same, the mask mandate was irrelevant. It was statistically insignificant because wearing a piece of cloth on your face, like I think that like there were legitimate cases to be made, and I made them here on this network that you know wearing N95s in healthcare settings, nursing homes, pre-vaccine, those were all well and good. But now at this point, vaccines your choice. Either you got it or you didn't, and it doesn't really. And if you're young, you're young. It probably is not that significant either way. The cloth mask is not going. It's going to make as much of a difference as masking during the bubonic plague did in you know the early modern ages. Um, or Spanish and, influenza when there were mask debates and it actually did nothing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and 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 as we fail to learn and remember from the Spanish influenza. 
filtration and air filtration is so much more important than any of these tiny, you know, measures. And that's what airplanes have. And that's what school buildings did not implement during that initial COVID lockdown. You know, you mentioned the airplane situation. Here is the in front of Senate, in front of the Senate, by the way, testifying the CEO outgoing, of course, because now he doesn't have to worry about his reputation being besmirched by the mask maniacs. Southwest Airlines CEO saying, look, masks on a plane doesn't really do yeah. anything. Watch. We ever, do you think, be able to get on an airplane without masks? Well, again, I would, I would echo uh, my colleague's comments uh, on the quality of the air. It's, uh, the, the, the statistics I recall is 99.97% of airborne pathogens uh, are captured by the HEPA filtering system and it's turned over every two or three minutes. We use UT Southwestern and Stanford School of Medicine. But um, yeah, I, I think the case uh, is very strong that uh, masks don't add much, if anything, uh, in the uh, air cabin environment. You don't say. No, and I mean, quite, fr quite frankly, the people who are put at risk of this, you know, other than the, other than the customers traveling with, you know, special needs family members, children who can't wear masks for that long, the people who are suffering a lot from this are the flight attendants. You know, you flight attendants who work 12 hours a day who are forced to enforce a ridiculous policy that everyone knows is ridiculous. And then naturally, you know, things get heated with with with, with flyers and with passengers and the flight attendants as it makes sense that it would, because this is such a draconian inf infringement on on a consumer experience. So I mean, they understand that business is not being helped by making people wear masks and lives aren't being saved. They would not be endangering their flight attendants, you know, if, if they thought that the masks did anything at this rate, but they just, and especially on planes. And so look, you know, I have no problem with individuals protesting businesses, but the way stuff is going to be changed is when these CEOs, you know, with these multi-million or billion dollar market caps are lobbying the federal government in particular and like, Obviously, we know Mayor Pete has the most mandate to to say in all federal transit on all Amtrak trains, there has to be a mass mandate. So the rebellion has to come directly against the federal government. And that's yeah, what I, and that's that. why that's why. Yeah. And that's why this is very promising that Southwest and American CEOs are now both saying this. Just the beginning. I hope it keeps going. Tina, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Thank you, Buck. Time Magazine's Man of the Year, Elon Musk, is trading barbs with Senator Elizabeth Warren. I'll have more on the war of words, tweets between the two in tonight's Buck Brief. I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto is heating up. A lot of people want to get in on the action for the first time. Where do you get started? Bitcoin, Ethereum, so many digital tokens out there. How do you buy them? How do you hold them? That's why you need My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. They will actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins. They can even set up trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7. Look, when it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more on the line.
Billionaire Elon Musk was recently named Time Magazine's Person of the Year for giving the world the gift of spaceships and electric cars. How do Democrat politicians respond? Elizabeth Warren, the anti-capitalist demagogue, reacts with anger and envy, saying Musk should pay more in taxes. Of course, Warren is pushing a wealth tax, claiming at least 2% per year of a fortune the size of Musk's should be seized by the government to be spent by her and her colleagues. Redistributed, you could say. For his part, Musk is already preparing to pay more in taxes than any American in history. Maybe a little bit of respect is in order? I'll have more on the hilarious feud in tonight's Buck Brief. Folks, you go after a guy who is not only the richest man on the planet, but also has 66 million Twitter followers, you may find yourself on the wrong side of an internet feud. Elizabeth Warren, demagogue, Democrat, fake Native American, found this out the hard way. She sparked the feud by going after Elon Musk overpaying his fair share in taxes. Let's change the rigged tax code so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else, she tweeted out. Oh, this is where it gets good. Elon Musk responded to Warren in a barrage of tweets. Please don't call the manager on me, Senator Karen, he wrote. And if you opened your eyes for two seconds, you would realize I will pay more taxes than any American in history this year. And then he wrote, don't spend it all at once. Oh, wait, you did already. Now, there's, there's a lot here. First of all, uh, Warren and many Democrats like her are shameless demagogues. Keep in mind, Warren was seen earlier this week herself getting off of a private jet. So she, you know, flies private. She's a multimillionaire personally, and she acts as though she's a great hero. There you go. Warren getting off the private aviation situation. And she acts like she's a great hero of the working class because she goes after billionaires. Now, why is she going after Musk? Well, it's because he isn't totally in line with the authoritarian Democrat agenda. Therefore, he is fair game. There are other billionaires out there. You'll never hear Democrats criticize George Soros. Why is that? Why is it there are only some billionaires that they're willing to have harsh words shared publicly about? Well, that's because whoever's part of the agenda gets protected, and whoever isn't, well, they have to be thrown to the wolves. Uh, Warren, this was pretty remarkable, is clearly a little rattled by this, a little upset over the whole situation, and says that uh, he is a freeloader. Watch. The world's richest freeloader evidently has a very thin skin. But you know the part that really makes me angry about this? It's on behalf of every public school teacher, every waitress, every computer programmer, every street cleaner who actually paid taxes. And that means they paid more than Elon Musk did in federal income taxes. And that's just not right. And it means the system is broken. I, I along with many others, am trying to fix that. You really think that uh, Elon Musk paid less taxes than who do you think is more likely to be accurate here? Musk, who says he's paying more in taxes than anyone ever, or Elizabeth Warren going on MSNBC saying things to an audience that likes to pretend that Democrats are not enormous frauds on this. But, but let's even take, take a step back. Calling the guy who created multiple companies, including one company, Tesla, 
that may be in the process of changing the world or changing the world as we know it, built SpaceX, which is literally sending spaceships into outer space. That's a pretty big deal, showing the private sector can get it done better than the government and NASA. That's meaningful stuff. Well, with all of that going on, you think this is not a guy you would consider a freeloader. If anything, he's probably a genius, and that's why he is the richest person on the planet. But you see, for Democrats, particularly Democrats who are millionaires but not self-made billionaires, uh, taking shots at people that build these companies, especially if they don't fall in line, Jeff Bezos style, by the Washington Post and become big philanthropist Democrat types who are pushing the left-wing agenda, uh, they know that their audiences like this class warfare virtue signaling that goes on. So uh, millionaire clown Joe Scarborough likes to refer to, for example, big tech CEOs as robber barons. And I don't know that anybody since John Rockefeller has had as unfettered power as Mark Zuckerberg has right now, where no one stands up to him inside his company. No one stands up to him on the board. No one stands up to him in Congress. No one stands up to him at the White House. No one really stands up to him in the media. He is a robber baron. Elon Musk is a robber baron. These people are robber barons, and, and we have seen the greatest transfer of, of, of wealth, which Republicans love to say, oh, we don't like to redistribute income. Oh, really? Transfer wealth from, from whom to whom? Building companies. See, this is because he thinks of, of wealth as a zero-sum game. Are Americans overall wealthier today than they were 100, 150 years ago? Yes, they are. It's not zero-sum. Wealth is created. Wealth grows. And so the people that are growing that wealth and creating thousands and thousands of jobs, building entire new industries, uh, to refer to them as robber barons perhaps seems a bit, uh, oh, gee, convenient, especially considering that in general, they do the bidding of Democrats. They support Democrat causes. They make sure that the scales are tipped in favor of Democrats, Twitter, Facebook, Google, all the time. So they can say this, they can pound the table about the robber barons, but we know at the end of the day they don't actually mean it. They're not going to take any actions or any steps to stop it because they like it. But they also like to make a lot of a noise about how they don't like it because they're for the... Over at the MSNBC morning show, they're about the common man. Yeah, sure. They're really out there fighting for truck drivers and waitresses at uh, Joe Scarborough's panel in between trips to Nantucket and you know, Martha's Vineyard. I'm, I'm sure he really cares a lot. By the way, Dinesh D'Souza, a friend of this show, came to the defense of Elon Musk after Elizabeth Warren tried to slam him. Dinesh tweeted, Elizabeth Warren says Elon is a freeloader, but which of the two has created new innovations, products, wealth, possibilities for the future? One's a visionary, the other is a professional fake who cashed in on pretending to be a Native American. What a contrast. Dinesh nailing it with that tweet. All right, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is fighting back against critical race theory in schools and boardrooms with the so-called Stop Woke Act. Well, the details of the founder of American Majority, Ned Ryan, after the break. Let's talk about protecting your digital information. Big tech is taking advantage of us, mining our data, remining it, selling it, and guess what? We don't benefit from it whatsoever. All the while, they abuse your privacy and count their money. If you think your emails, texts, and messages are private and safe, think again. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use their own servers, no ties to big tech companies. 
This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy for your email. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We've got to take a stand now to take our privacy back from big tech. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access. Go to secure.com today, create your secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com, S-E-K-U-R.com, promo code BUCK. Ned Ryan stops by after the break. Giving parents a private right of action to be able to enforce the prohibition on CRT, this corporate CRT, it's basically corporate sanctioned racism, and they're trying to shove it down these employees' throats. We are going to be introducing to the public, and, and we have legislators who are going to help us with this, um, a new piece of legislation for the upcoming legislative session called Stop Wrongs Against Our Kids and Employees Act, the Stop Woke Act. The greatest of all time of governors, Ron DeSantis, the GOAT, announcing a major crackdown on critical race theory, his new Stop Woke Act, banning the progressive curriculum from Florida schools and workplaces. Just another reason why a lot of Americans are moving to the Sunshine State. Here to react to this and more, CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan. Ned, what's up, man? Hey, Buck, how you doing? I'm good. So I love to see this. It's amazing to me, though, because you still have, it seems, the Democrats thinking that the, the way that they can fight back against this is just to tell parents and tell people in general there is no CRT. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre when, they, when the response is to double down and, and deny what's actually factual. I mean, they tried to do that here in Virginia when, in fact, the Virginia Board of Education actually had it front and center on their website about critical race theory. Uh, in which they were trying to gaslight the the people of Virginia when, in fact, it was clearly stated. I, I think this is a great move by DeSantis, Buck, but I want to see it go a step further. I mean, the reason that they were able to get away with some of this stuff with the critical race theory, other games they've been playing inside the education system, is it's because it's a monopoly. And the way that you break monopoly is to bring about competition. And I would love to see DeSantis take this even a next step further in which he says, you know what? We're going to allow the dollars to follow the parents. And if they want to have charter schools or private schools or homeschool, whatever they want, they can then put their children to that school. That will break the monopoly of the public school system, which has allowed them to turn them into indoctrination centers in which they're teaching children what to think instead of how to think. That's the next step to take part. Is this going to play? I mean, obviously, we're talking about it in the context of Florida and Governor DeSantis is taking action there. But we saw in your home state of Virginia what felt like a huge repudiation of just CRT, but also the left's stranglehold on education and refusal to be even a, a little bit responsive to parents. We even know that parents treated like terrorists for wanting to have a greater right. say in what their children are being taught in schools supported by their tax dollars. Do you think that's going to come back as a major issue next year for the, uh, for the midterms, Ned? Absolutely. And Republicans would be fools not to embrace it. I mean, this is this is the real story of what took place in Virginia. It was not that Glenn Youngkin was some phenomenal conservative rock star left to himself. He was a vanilla establishment type candidate who embraced the parents movement that had already begun. And that was the real secret to his success book is he embraced it wholeheartedly, became a vocal supporter and said, I will defend parents rights to actually be engaged in how their children are educated. 
And I would remind people, too, that the other issue that people seem to forget on this book is it's not only CRT. It's that these woke school board members have said, well, advanced math and other advanced courses are racist. Therefore, we're not going to teach them. And where you get 70 percent of Democrats and independents, especially here in Loudoun County, was on that issue. They were completely frustrated, had enough that their children were being denied opportunities by not being taught these advanced courses. It's a 70 percent issue and only a fool would turn their back on us. So I hope the Republicans in 2022 double down on this, embrace it and say, if nothing else, we are going to be advocates for parents' rights. And we're going to actually go even again a step further. And we're going to work to break the monopoly of the public school system. And we're going to provide more competition. And when more competition comes, I think you see a lot of this stupidity start to fade away. Ned, you're a guy who understands how the legislative sausage is being made in D.C. and what's likely to come out of all the wrangling over, yeah, for better, for worse, uh, uh, the wrangling that's going to that's going to continue on here with what you have to call the Biden agenda, right? Build back better. I've heard others call it build back broke. But the point here being it is stalled out. Senator Manchin has withheld his support as of now. Looks like Democrats are unlikely to pass Biden's social spending plan before this year is out. First of all, are you surprised that this is where we are? You know, honestly, probably a little bit, Buck. Uh, I've been surprised that Manchin and, and Cinema, honestly, have, have stood their ground on this and, and the voting, uh, supposed Voting Rights Act uh, of Democrats, that they have not said we're going to do away with the filibuster. We're not going to have $1.75 trillion uh, in absurd spending. It's been a pleasant surprise that you've had two Democratic senators really say we're not going to go along with this crazy progressive leftist socialist statist uh, agenda. So I, I think the spending is at least stalled for right now. I think what you're going to see, honestly, on the spending front is Democrats are going to realize we're going to lose power in the midterms of 2022, probably lose the majority in the House. I'm pretty sure they're going to lose it in the Senate. And if they don't get something done next year, they're not going to have another opportunity to do it. So I think they're going to really put a lot of pressure on cinema and mansion. But in the short term, a build back better or build back broke, whatever you want to call it, is dead. And now they're trying to move on to voting rights. But Cinema made it very clear today that she is not going to be voting to do away with the filibuster to have this massive wholesale, uh, I call codifying of corruption when it comes to our electoral process. So what do you think this turns into next year? It feels like for the Biden uh, regime, the absence of the passage of the BBB means that they're heading into a midterm cycle where... Democrat, uh, the Democrat agenda feels like it's stalled out. So are we going to get some version of this passed by the Democrats? Or do you think there's a possibility the whole thing could just be held up? Well, unless they come more towards what Manchin wants, I don't see any way that it will pass. Uh, and I don't see that they're going to have this voting rights pass uh, anytime soon unless they come towards what Cinema wants. And I don't see them having any compromise on that issue. And I think they're, they are staring absolute disaster in the face in 2022 based on generic polls, based off a whole lot of, of different factors, Buck. And I think the real question, the one that I've been asking myself, the real story of 2022 is what games are Democrats going to try and play to hold on to political power as they're staring disaster in the face? I think that's the real question of what 2022 is going to be about. What do you think some of those could be, Ned? You're a guy who sees how the other side is going to play the game. <laughs> I've been thinking through a few things. Obviously, they're going to try and use the universal mail-in absentee ballot approach. Uh, I, I think they're going to try and play. I think Raheem Kassam has mentioned the vax to vote uh, play, although I think that would really hurt them in the in the African-American black community that is largely in, in many ways unvaccinated. 
So I think they're going to try a whole variety of games and see what they can pull off. But, but Buck, here in Virginia, I've really kind of pegged it at about 2% uh, what Democrats can make up in the votes. And when you're down 10 points in congressional generic polls, you got a long ways to go before you have a shot at actually holding on to the House and the Senate. Our man, Ned Ryan, always with the insights. Merry Christmas, sir. Good to see you. Same to you, Buck. She's back. Or should we say she just won't leave? In her latest interview, Hillary Clinton says if Trump wins in 2024, it could be the end of democracy as we know it. Sounds a little nervous, huh? We'll have that story coming up in Quick Hits. I want to tell you again about my digital money. Seems like everybody wants to invest in crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, dozens of digital tokens out there. Where do you get started? That's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priorities. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities, even a play money account so you can test the market without risking cash. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals. That's what you'll get with MyDigitalMoney. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. President Biden's actually making up words, and one guy is terrified of the uh, number of American flags in his neighborhood. Let's start with this one. Uh, Joe Biden is not an intellectual, not an impressive fellow. Somehow he's become president of the United States. Thanks, Democrats, for whatever you think this is doing to the country. It's completely absurd. It's madness, but this is the guy they decided was going to be president, so here we are. Now, no one's ever thought that Joe Biden was a great orator, a great thinker, writer, leader, but we have assumed that he probably knows the English language, at least at a native speaker level, right? He's got a pretty good grasp of it. Well, it turns out that Biden is, in fact, a wordsmith. He is a creator of words. He is coming up with whole new concepts, whole new ways of expressing himself that don't technically exist in the English language, but perhaps Joe Biden will change that. Notice all the times that, and he really leans into it too. He's not just using this as a filler word. It doesn't come out a little bit funny once or twice. Notice the usage of the new Bidenism exponentially. 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 Does he not hear himself? I mean, does he think that's a word? It's not like he, I I do radio for three hours a day. You misspeak sometimes. You say the wrong thing. Uh, But exponentially, you know, this guy's the president, folks. Let's remember that for a second. You know who was almost the president, but uh, thanks to Donald Trump, it did not end up happening. Hillary Clinton. Uh, a woman so corrupt that it defies belief, not only that she almost became president of the United States, but that she somehow evaded prison her entire life as an adult. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. But she is still very bitter about what happened in 2020, uh, 2016 rather, and she is upset about the prospect of Trump even running 
going forward in 2024. Now, you see, if you watch enough cable news, you realize that the Democrats are running out of ways to scare people about politics when it comes to Trump. They're running out of phrases. So they're going to just start leaning into things that you've already heard many, many times before. I mean, here's Hillary Clinton telling you or telling whoever's watching her and this that if Trump wins in 2024, it could be the end of democracy. If I were a betting person right now, I say Trump is going to run again. I mean, he seems to be setting himself up to do that. And if he's not held accountable, then, you know, he he gets to do it again. I think that could be the end of our democracy, not to be too, you know, pointed about it. But I want people to understand that this is a make or break point. If he were or someone of his ilk were once again to be elected president, and if especially he had a Congress that would do his bidding, you will not recognize our country. The end of our democracy. Um, she, doesn't want to, she doesn't want to overstate it, folks. It's just the end of our democracy. I mean, you know, she's not overstating it, though. No, no, she would never, never do that. No, of course not. Um, this was interesting. A faculty member at NYU, New York University, has asserted that trans activism is part of a larger effort to bring about a communist revolution. Watch this. This kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right? A world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does, this, why does this immediately matter to trans people? Well, what do trans people in our particularity have to, 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 to say or to offer that expands the universalism of a communist, of a, of a communist society, right? Um, which is to say, uh, one that would be achieved uh, in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary, that we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is. That when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways, this is a part of the project. Yeah, communist revolutionary. But don't, you, can't, you can't say the left is full of commies in America today. That's not nice. That's not true. They say that's not right. But it is true. And if you're wondering how they feel about American flags, the commies, that is, this guy says he feels very unsafe because of the number of American flags in his neighborhood. So I just uh, moved to the suburbs from San Francisco. Everything, what really makes me feel unsafe here is the vast amount of American flags I see. Like, I walked around like, uh, like a three, four, five block radius uh, and I saw so many American flags, and that makes me feel so unsafe. Like, I, I, I'm afraid of the people here. <laughs> afraid of people because they have American flags. As ever tonight's hold the line, the no spin news with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Fields high.